0: Father, again, we're thankful for the chance, Lord, to study Your Word. Lord, I'm thankful for the chance to preach the truth of Your Word. Lord, and I pray as I do every week that this wouldn't just be another thing we do in our week, Lord. It wouldn't just be something we've put on the schedule and we're here because it's Sunday morning. I pray that we would be prepared to hear the truth of Your Word. I pray, Father, it would be impactful to us. I pray it would be challenging to us. Lord, I pray it would be confronting, Lord, in certain ways and convicting. Lord, I pray that we would never leave after hearing the truth of Your Word the same. I pray that it would always kind of resonate in our hearts, Father, and we would just understand that there are things we can be doing differently as followers to bring You honor and glory, Lord. So I pray that as we open the truth of Your Word, You would just speak clearly to us. I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit we could understand Your words and be transformed more into the image of Your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. How many of you would say that this is your favorite time of the year? Anybody? Favorite time of the year? Three people. That's good. All right. It's my favorite time of the year. Even if it's not yours, I love it. Love it. I love the cold weather. I love cold weather. I love all the lights and the decorations. If it were up to me at my house, it would be the Griswold family Christmas at the camp household. Just thousands of lights. And Fortunately, Amy vetoes that every year. It's probably a good thing. But I love the holiday season. I love the sense of excitement. But more than that, I love the opportunity every year to think about and to study and be reminded of the birth of Christ. God becomes man. Do you understand the significance of what that means? Do you you understand how rare that is, even within religions of the world, that we claim that the God of the universe stepped down out of heaven and lived among us? Do you understand how rare that is? How strange that is compared to what so many other people believe? The idea that the Lord in all of His glory would step down and live among us. It's it's a perfect picture of love and mercy and grace. And the birth of Jesus Christ is really at the heart of the gospel, isn't it? Because, see, we're, we're sinful in the way that we live. And because we're sinful, we're separated from the things of the Lord. And so we need somebody to stand in the gap for us. We need somebody to kind of take our place. And if Jesus hadn't been born, then He wouldn't have lived among us. If He hadn't lived among us, He couldn't have lived the perfect life and walked to the cross and taken our sins. And if we didn't have somebody to take our sins, we would be eternally separated from the Lord. What a beautiful picture of the Gospel wrapped up in the birth of Christ. C.S. Lewis said it like this, the Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. (laughs) How beautiful is the picture. How beautiful is the picture of Christ and of His birth and of all He accomplished in the life that He led. You know, so many people look at the birth of Jesus Christ and they think it was one isolated incident, as if it just kind of happened, as if that sleepy town of Bethlehem was not a big deal, as if it was just kind of side note, some sort of a footnote in history. But you need to understand, and we're going to look at the truth of this this morning based on the study of the Word. You need to understand that it was so much more than just an isolated event in history. The birth of Christ was God's plan from eternity past to redeem the world back to Himself, See, the birth of Christ didn't just happen one sleepy night in Bethlehem. It happened in the mind of the Lord in eternity past. Galatians 4 says it best, when the time had fully come, right? So there's this sense that there's been this plan since the beginning. When everything was right, and when the time had fully come, the Bible says God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, To redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. And so the, the Lord gives us this incredible picture all through the Old Testament, looking ahead to who Christ was going to be, looking ahead to what Christ was going to accomplish. And then after the Old Testament is written, the Lord kind of goes silent. It's interesting if you study the history of the writing of the Scripture. The Old Testament is finished and then the Lord goes silent. And from 400 years, there's nothing from the Lord. We don't hear anything. No new prophecy, no new revelation, no new book. But after 400 years of silence, the Lord speaks again. This time not through the written Word, but through the Word of Christ. So we're going to examine this morning and for the next couple of weeks the picture of Christ, the picture of His birth, and exactly what that means to us as followers of Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Now as you're flipping over to John chapter 1, let me give you just a little bit of background. Over the next few weeks, we're going to study the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John. It's known as the Prologue. And we're going to spend some time each week kind of working through this text and understanding exactly who Christ is and exactly what Christ accomplished on this earth. But there's some interesting things I want you to know about the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is different than the other three Gospels. You need to remember the four Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic Gospels. They're all three very similar. They tell a lot of the same stories. John is different. In fact, it's been estimated that only about 8% of the book of John is duplicated in the other Gospels. John tells different stories. John talks about different miracles. John has a different perspective, oftentimes going deeper with the understanding of exactly who Christ is and His ultimate purpose on this life. Now, the first 18 verses of the book of John are very important. They're known as the prologue. And if... you wanted to read more about the prologue of the Gospel of John, you could do that because there have literally been books written about these 18 verses. I mean, you can read article after article, book after book about just these few verses because they're chock full of so much truth. There's so many things we can learn about Christ in these few verses. We, we begin to see kind of these big words, these themes in the first few verses that are found all through the Gospel of John. Words like life and light, witness and world, truth and glory. And so the first 18 verses kind of form this picture of who Christ is and what Christ did. And it's the picture of the Word, Jesus Christ, becoming flesh and living among us. And so we're going to delve right in this morning to John chapter 1. We're going to study the first five verses. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Now, there's so much truth here. There's so many things we could think about. In fact, you could probably spend week after week after week studying this and understanding it. But there's some big truths I want you to see. Let's kind of take a step back and let's understand kind of the big picture of what John wants us to see in this text. And here's the first truth, number one. The birth of Jesus Christ wasn't the beginning of the story. The birth of Jesus Christ wasn't the beginning of the story. Too many people see the birth of Christ, as I said a few minutes ago, as an isolated event. As if the Lord just kind of woke up one morning and decided He was going to send His Son to die on the cross for our sins. In fact, what you see scripturally is from the beginning of time, God had a plan. From the beginning of time, God had a plan to send Christ to redeem His people to save them from their sins. Now let's kind of... Take a step back here just for a second and let's understand something about these few verses. We're looking at the first five verses, but I want to point something out to you in verse 14. Skip down, if you would, to John 1.14. The first couple of verses in the prologue speak of the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. In the beginning was the Word. John 1.14 says this, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the One and Only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we understand by studying verse fourteen that the word is referring to Christ, and so we can reread John 1:14, Excuse me, John one one. Like this, in the beginning was Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was with God. And Jesus Christ was God. We see that Christ in this text is eternal. Right in the beginning was Jesus Christ. It didn't say in the beginning He was created. It doesn't say in the beginning He was thought about. It doesn't say in the beginning the Lord began to consider Christ. It says in the beginning was Christ. Now we see this theme in other portions of Scripture. For example, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8 About the Son, He says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of Your kingdom. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Revelation 1.8, I am the Alpha and the Omega who is and who was and who is to come the Almighty. See, Jesus Christ has always been and the Lord, through Jesus Christ, has always had a plan. Now, I don't know about you, but I have the opportunity some weekends to do things around the house, right? I kind of have a list of things I need to do. Whether it's fix things or clean things. or You know the list, right? There's kind of a list of things you need to work through. And if you're anything like me... I go into maybe a Saturday with kind of big plans, right? I'm going to get these five things of common. I'm going to build this, fix this, clean this. And I'll start working on one project, and then I'll, I'm bad about doing this. I'll remember that I've got something else I got to do. So I'll start this project, right? You ever done that? And you got tools, man, you got tools laying out everywhere, and you, you got to leave those tools because you remembered something else, and you go back, and you, so you start working on this other project. And as you work on this project. You remember, yeah, i got to clean that. So you kind of leave it. And before long, there's like these little spots, these little tools and little work you're doing. And, and finally you get back to this one and maybe you don't finish it. Things get in the way or a tool breaks. you got to go buy a piece of equipment. My plans never work out like I want them to work out. The Lord's plans always work out like He wants them to work out. Nothing happens by accident in the Lord's plans. Nothing happens by kind of happenstance. Nothing is kind of last minute. The Lord says, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. from the very beginning, the Lord had a plan in mind for you, He had a plan in mind for me, and He planned on accomplishing it through Christ." And that's very interesting what John does here. I want to kind of think through this just for a couple of minutes and I want to kind of walk into some detail because I think it's just so fascinating and interesting. John uses the word, Word. Bring up verse 1 again if you would for me, please. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we ask ourselves the question, why wouldn't He just say Christ? I mean, he's referring to Jesus. We see that in John 1.14. Why wouldn't he just say in the beginning was Christ? Why does he use this word, word? Well, in the original language in the Greek, the word is logos. And the logos had a very specific, specific meaning to the Jewish people. For the Jewish person living in the first century... When they read this text, they understood the logos, or the Word of God, to mean the communication of God. It's the way that God communicated His purpose. It's the way in which He spoke. It's the very breath of God, the very Word of God. And here's what they knew. When the Lord speaks, things happen, don't they? When the Lord decrees it to happen, it will happen. Remember how God created the earth? He spoke it into existence, didn't He? His Word. Genesis chapter 1 verse 3. And God... Right. God said, let there be light. And what was there? Light. (laughs) Genesis 1 6. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. And what was there? There was an expanse. If you read through Genesis chapter 1 and 2, what do you see over and over? God said, God said, God said. The Jewish people understood this. They understood that the Word of the Lord is active and powerful and speaks. The Lord does the same thing as He calls people to do certain things throughout the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 15 verse 1. Speaking to Abraham. After this, the Word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. See that? The Lord speaking to Abraham. Exodus chapter 24 verses 3 and 4 speaking of the establishment of the laws of Israel when Moses went and told all the people all the Lord's words and laws they responded with one voice. Over and over and over we see this idea that the logos that the word of God the very breath of God speaks. Now you say that's great. So we understand that John used this word that meant Logos, and the Jewish people understood it was the Word of God, and when the Lord speaks, things happen and, and lives are changed. But what does that have to do with us today, right? That's kind of always the question. We can spend all this time working through this text, and it almost be like a commentary. What do the specific words mean and how they relate, and what does this mean for this, and how does it tie into other parts of the Bible? But here's the bottom line. What does it mean for us today? Here's what it means for you today. If the Lord has had a plan from eternity past and through the Word He has spoken to His people, the Lord still speaks today to you. The Lord still has a plan for you. The Lord still wants to work in your life. It's amazing how many people want answers to questions in life. right? We ask all these kind of difficult questions. What's my purpose? How am I supposed to live my life? What's, what's my calling? It always amazes me when I talk to people, all the different places that people go for answers. When you want an answer to a question, the place that you normally start in today's world is where? Internet. We had a conversation with our kids that was, I don't know, a week or two ago. We started talking about encyclopedias. You want to talk about blank looks? <laughs> So you know how we explained in encyclopedia to our kids? It's like the internet but it's on paper. I mean, that's pretty Any question you got, you have to look it up, right? But people, people go to the internet, if maybe they want to go a little farther in their search, maybe they go buy a book and they read about some topic, how I can learn about things, and maybe they go talk to a coworker, a friend, a relative, and, and all those things are fine. There's nothing wrong with those things. But let's think through this just for a second. If the Lord is eternal, if Christ is eternal, If He's always had a plan, if His plan has always been through His Word and speaking, shouldn't we go to Him first for the answers to the questions we have? Shouldn't we seek Him first to understand His plan? Shouldn't we seek Him first to understand our place, our calling in this world? I love what Ephesians 3.11 says, talking about the eternal purposes of the Lord. It says that He accomplished those purposes in Jesus Christ. See, Jesus didn't step down out of heaven and live among us so we can simply live a life of self-gratification. That's not who He's called us to be. Christ says, I've come to this earth to live among you, to dwell among you, to give my life for you so you can have so much more so you can understand my plan for you. Let's continue through this passage of Scripture. Let's see what this plan might look like. John chapter 1 again in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, right? There's the eternal aspect of Christ. He always has been. There's been a plan since the beginning. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Here's truth number two. We can trust Christ's plan because He's fully God. You say, why is Christ's plan better than that self-help book I read? Why is Christ's plan better than what my friend says? Why is Christ's plan better than my plan? Very simply, Christ is God and we're not. He understands the beginning from the end. He understands the path you're going to take. He understands the decisions you're going to make and He wants to guide you and lead you and direct you. Now I want you to understand this. Bring that verse back up if you would please very clearly. If you're ever asked to defend the deity of Christ, you should go to John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word or Jesus Christ and Christ was with God and Christ was God. Right? There's the deity of Jesus Christ very clearly in John chapter 1. But John makes this interesting distinction, right? He says that not only was Jesus with God, but Jesus was God. It's kind of the mystery of the Trinity. You say, can can you explain to me, Adam, in just a couple of sentences the Trinity? I can't. It's kind of the mystery of what it is, right? We understand that there are three distinct persons, yet they're all fully God. Three in one, that's the point of the Trinity. And so we can defend the Trinity here in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, right? So they're separate. And the Word was God. If you ever have an opportunity to discuss faith with somebody and maybe you're not quite sure about what they believe or or, or where they stand, you should always ask them about Christ. What do they do with Jesus Christ? Because there are people in our world now that deny the deity of Christ. They say, Jesus was just a good man. He was a a prophet, but He wasn't fully God. Or they say, maybe Jesus was a good teacher. And He has a lot of good things to say. And there's some things in the Bible I can even apply to my life, but He wasn't fully God. But if we take the truth of Scripture and we study it and we understand it, we see very clearly that the Word was with God and the Word was God. Now this debate about the deity of Christ really began in the early centuries. In fact, if you were to read and kind of do a little lesson in history, you would read about the Gnostics. Now, the Gnostics believed that they had some sort of enlightenment, some sort of knowledge that other people didn't have. And they believed that matter created things were evil. And so they made this pitch, they kind of made this statement, and they preached this doctrine that because Jesus was a man... Because Jesus was made up of stuff like we are made up of matter and matter is evil Jesus could not have been fully God so they preached this and they taught this and there was a battle in the first century among people that claimed to be believers whether Jesus was fully God or whether he was just another person now what we see from our study in scripture is that Jesus was not only fully God but Jesus was fully man he was both you say, okay, I, I get that. Right? You feel like you're kind of getting bogged down in the theology. You say, well, why, why is it important to understand this? Why is it important to understand that Jesus was fully God? Because in our sinfulness, we needed a perfect sacrifice. You need to understand all this is related to salvation. All this is related to the Lord's plan to redeem us back to Himself. We are sinful, we are separated from the things of the Lord, and we need someone, a perfect sacrifice, to take our place. Now because Jesus was fully human, He could represent us. He was one of us, wasn't He? Because He was born of a woman, and the stories we've seen, and we'll study over the next couple of weeks, because He was born of a woman, He was human, He was a man like we are. He was flesh, He could represent humanity. But because He was at the same time fully God, He could bear the wrath of our sins, right? He could take our place. He had the ability to kind of live in both worlds, the human world and the world of deity. He represented us as humans, and yet because He was fully God, He could die on the cross and take the wrath of our sins. When you remove the deity of Christ, you miss the entire point of what He accomplished. Because He was the perfect sacrifice, He could take our sins on the cross. You see, God has always had a plan. He's always had a plan to redeem the world back to Himself since eternity past. And Christ has always been part of that plan. Christ has always been about calling us back to repentance. Calling us back to salvation. And we see that very clearly in these verses. Now I want to continue to read through this. I want to continue to understand this. So look again with me at this passage of Scripture. John chapter 1, again in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we see, again, we see the eternity of Christ here. We see the deity of Christ here. We see the humanity of Christ. There's so much just in this one verse. Verse 2 now. He was with God in the beginning. Now, verse 3. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Now, hold just for a second. This is one of those moments as I'm kind of praying through this week. And I'm praying through this sermon. Verse 3 is just chock full of stuff. I just don't have time to get to it. Maybe we'll do another sermon one of these days on John chapter 1, verse 3. But here's what we're seeing right here. Through Christ, all things were made, right? So the creating agent is the Lord. He does it, God the Father. He does it through God the Son. So we see Christ present in creation. Now verse 4, in Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. We see that God's had a plan from the beginning. We see that because Christ is fully God, that plan can be accomplished through Jesus. And now truth number three, God's plan gives us light and life. In a world filled with darkness and death, we need a little more light and life, don't we? Now look at verses 4 and 5. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. We see these two themes of light and life. Two grand themes that John is going to talk about and expound on all through the Gospel of John. And we see Christ using these references even as He speaks. So examples of... John 8 chapter 12 when Jesus spoke again to the people he said I am the light of the world whoever follows me will not walk in darkness John chapter 12 verse 46 I've come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in the darkness on and on we see that John kind of uses this symbol of darkness to represent evil And into this darkness, we see this light of Christ shining in our lives. When we flew home from Africa several weeks ago, we left from Johannesburg, and we did something that was very odd to me. We got on the plane in Johannesburg after dark. Now we got a 16-hour flight ahead of us, and you think geographically about the earth, the sun is moving in a westerly direction, right? sun always goes down in the west. We were flying west. So literally, if you think about the globe, we're flying west. The sun is going down. We're kind of chasing the sun around the earth. That's very interesting to me. Well, the sun was moving a lot faster than we were, so we never quite caught up with the sun. So we took off from Johannesburg at dark. We flew all through the night, all through the darkness, and landed in Atlanta when it was still dark. Sixteen straight hours of darkness. That was very strange to me. And I started thinking about how the Lord is light and how the Lord kind of comes into the darkness of the world and shines His light. And I thought, you know what? We flew all through the night in total darkness. How many people live their lives in total darkness? Away from the truth of Christ. Away from His light. Away from His hope. Away from redemption. Christ says, I've come to earth to bring light into the darkness. I've come to earth to give you this this hope, to give you this plan to redeem you back to the things of the Lord. And yet I wonder, even within this congregation, even within my own heart, how many of us struggle with darkness? How many of us struggle with darkness in our thoughts? Our thought world, right? Where Where we live and what we think and the visions we see in our minds, how many of us struggle with darkness there? How many of us struggle with darkness in our actions? Maybe things we want to do, we're drawn towards this darkness. How many of us struggle with darkness in how we treat other people? How many of us struggle with darkness in the use of our time or our money? How many of us struggle with darkness in our desires, the things we want to do? The things we desire to do when we think nobody else is looking. Christ says, I've come to give you light. it's a beautiful picture because so many of us live in the darkness. So much of the world is surrounded by darkness. Christ says, I've come to give you light. That light will lead you, He says, to what? Life. I think we need a little more life amongst all the death, don't you? Some scholars have said that we're living in our century surrounded by a culture of death death is all around us in so many different ways Christ Christ says I've come to give you light and that light will lead you to life John 14 6 Jesus answered I am the way and the truth and the what you say it life no one comes to the father except through me Jesus offers hope and light and life in the middle of great darkness. You know, for the first time in history, I want you to hear this interesting stat. For the first time in history, one out of every two people live in a city. First time in history. In fact, you notice statistically, the urban centers of our world are growing at a pretty rapid rate. It's estimated that by about the middle of this century, the vast majority of the world will live in some sort of a city. Rural living, as a lot of you live and love, is kind of going away. People are just migrating to cities. But here's the sad statistic about that fact. Of all the people that live in cities all around the world, it's estimated that 860 million of those city dwellers reside in slums. Now slums are the worst of the worst. Just to give you an idea of what a slum might look like in Manila, one of the largest slums in the city is a garbage dump. So people literally live in the garbage dump. You say, why don't they live in a garbage dump? Because there's food there for them to eat. And so entire cities have been built in the midst of this garbage. People live in extreme poverty... People live in horrible conditions. The vast majority of those people are there by necessity. They have no other choice. You say, the vast majority? Aren't all of them there because they don't have choice? No. There are a small number of believers worldwide that have given their lives, have sold their possessions... And they have moved into the slums of the largest cities on earth for one simple reason, to share the gospel of Christ with those that have never heard. So there are Americans right now, people like you and me, that had a nice living here that have decided for whatever reason to move to some large city in the world and to live in the slums. You say, that's a... That's a radical thing for them to do. I mean, I understand, I guess, what they're trying to accomplish, but why in the world would they move into the slums, into the worst of the worst? I think it's exactly what Christ did for us. I think it's a perfect picture of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. He stepped down out of the beauty of heaven, of the glory of heaven, of the peacefulness of heaven and He moved in among a sinful, dirty, nasty world. Christ among us. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. That is the story of Christmas. And it's the greatest story ever told. Let's pray. Father, thank You again for truth of Your Word. Thank You for the clarity of Your Word, Lord. Help us, again, just to understand it more. Help us to understand the eternity of Your nature, Father, and how You've had a plan from the beginning. Help us to understand that Christ has always been part of that plan. Because He's fully God, we can trust Him. We can rely on Him. We can go to Him for answers. And then I pray, Father, through Your plan and through His perfection, Father, we can experience life We can experience light. We can experience truth in the midst of darkness. I pray that this Christmas season will be a time of, of, of excitement for us, a time of joy. But I pray we would see more clearly than ever the plan you had for Christ, the plan you had for your people, and specifically the plans that you have for us. May we do all things to bring you honor and glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.